Hey, I'm Mary Ellen Dance, licensed mental health counselor and owner of Pittsburgh Therapy. I'm on a mission to strip away the stigmas surrounding therapy and mental health and talk about how we can use the culture of self-improvement for our benefit rather than our demise. I used to think I was doing life all wrong, from getting fired from a dream job to advising clients on relationships while I myself was trying to sort through that dumpster fire. But then I realized my imperfections are what made me a good therapist. So join me on a journey not to be perfect, but to be well, okay-ish. Welcome. Your session has now started. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm so excited to talk to all of you. And I have a lot to talk about today. Before I get into it, please follow wherever you are listening to this podcast. That helps me. Please follow. Please subscribe. All of that. That helps me so much. All the podcast you know, gurus like when we do that. <laughs> so I want to talk about a lot of things today. And we're not going to get to all of it because it's so much. But we're going to kind of do a brief overview. I've been getting so many questions about codependency, about love, lust, sex, intimacy, you name it. I think that doing the episode about narcissists and then doing the episode with a dating coach kind of brought up all these questions for people. And so I thought, hey, let's talk about these questions. Let's do it. So have you ever wondered why You know, typically men are congratulated when they hook up with a lot of women, but women are deemed as sluts. Have you ever wondered why, you know, lust is so exciting? That's that's one of the main reasons people cheat, right? Because lust is exciting. But why? Have you ever wondered why like lust and like passionate whirlwind romances sometimes turn into like long lasting relationships and sometimes they, you know, fizzle out as soon as they came. That's why we're talking today. That is why we're talking. I want to talk everything love, lust, sex related. And we're we're going to go a little bit deeper into some codependency, intimacy, companionship, you name it. Now, I will say that this is just an overview. All of these specific things I could talk about separately for for days, right? So this is just a little bit of an overview to answer some of these questions. And in future episodes, I will go into, you know, we'll do a specific codependency episode, a specific intimacy episode, things like that. So to start off, I want to tell you something called the sociobiological view of sex. The sociobiological view talks about how our biggest goal as human beings is to reproduce. That's our goal. That's how we leave a legacy. That's how we keep the world going. Our biggest goal as humans is to reproduce. Now, there's some issues with that, right? But I'm just saying what the sociobiological view is. And so the sociobiological view says that innately, We want to behave in ways that will help us reproduce. So that means we want to have sex. But there's a difference between men and women. 
Because women have to carry babies for nine months and men don't have to do that. So men want to basically just go out and spread their sperm everywhere to try to reproduce. Women, on the other hand, want to find the best sperm to try to reproduce because, again, they have to carry babies for nine months. We, I'm a woman. And so I wanted to share this view. There's a lot of theories about this social norm about, you know, men can go hook up with lots of women, but women are deemed as sluts if they do that. There's a lot of theories. I think this is changing. I think that we're evolving to understand this a little bit better. And we're definitely evolving to understand that having children may not be the right path for everyone, um, and that's okay. But historically, one of the biggest theories is this sociobiological view that says, you know, the reason it's okay for men to, the reason we think it's okay for men to go up and hook up with a lot of women is because they're just trying to reproduce as much as they can. It's a little scary when you think about it. And then the reason why women are deemed as sluts is because, well, you have to find the best sperm to make the best baby because, you know, that's the goal in life is to reproduce with the best baby. Has this been messing us up? I think it's been messing us up. I personally think that this is, like I said, I think we're getting a lot better with that. But I wanted to talk about this theory because I've been getting a lot of questions based on the episode I did with Stacey Perry, the dating coach, um, based on the episode I did with narcissists. I wanted to give us a little bit of background of where some of these things might be coming from. And that kind of leads me into talking about lust. This is a question I get all the time, right? Why do people cheat? How how do I get that butterfly feeling back with my spouse that we had when we first started dating? You know, why why did this this romance kind of blossom and then burn out so quickly? Why do we have so much like sexual drive at the beginning of a relationship and then it kind of peters off? Maybe not all the time, but some of the time. These things can be described, and again, this is a big overview, but one of the descriptions of these things can be passionate versus companionate love. So passionate love is that butterfly feeling. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm singing on the top of a rooftop because I am so excited about this new person I met and we're in love and this is amazing. Romantic comedies show passionate love. Romantic comedies very rarely show companionate love, which we'll get to. So there's some interesting things that happen with passionate love. Some really interesting things. Oxytocin, which is known as the cuddle hormone, is firing in our brain, is being released in our brain during passionate love. Vasopressin, which is another um, hormone, is firing in our brain. And endorphins are also firing in our brain. Our endorphins are known as the, the happy hormone. So when we are feeling this passionate type of love, we literally have all these hormones going off in our brain that's making us feel like these, these highs, right? Have you ever, you know, started dating someone or met someone new and you, and you kind of feel like you're on drugs? You kind of feel like you're on a little bit of a high. It's because all these hormones are going on inside of us, which is great. 
I mean, oxytocin is great. It's nicknamed the cuddle hormone. Like, who doesn't want more of that hormone, right? It's awesome. Fun fact to know and tell about this is that vasopressin, well, actually all three of the hormones, the same regions of the brain are firing with these same hormones when we're looking at someone we're falling in love with. And those same regions of the brain are firing when a mother is looking at her children. So if you want to know about some mommy issues, maybe uh, <laughs> maybe that gives you a little um, insight into them. So literally a mother looking at her children, a specific part of the brain is firing off. If I'm looking at someone I'm falling in love with, that same part of the brain is firing off. Isn't that so wild? That's like one of my favorite facts to talk about because I think it explains a lot. We're going to get into some mommy stuff too. I could do probably like 10 whole episodes on on moms. Moms are wonderful. Moms are amazing, amazing people. There are so many great podcasts out there about being a mother in this day and age. Like they're, they're wonderful, wonderful people. But in thinking about how the same brain regions are firing with, with moms looking at their kids and when we're falling in love, a lot of our attachment styles come from our mothers. Our attachment styles are how we how we show love, how we attach to people, how we understand love, and those are directly correlated with how our mothers loved us. It's actually really interesting. There was a study done on babies like one-year-olds where they would put the the one-year-old in a in a room in like a playroom with toys and whatnot with their mothers. And then the mother would leave and they would look at how the baby would respond. In some cases, the mother would leave and the child would be inconsolable, absolutely inconsolable, so upset. The mother would come back and the baby would attach to the mother, cling to the mother, still be tearful, still be, you know, afraid that the mother is going to leave again. With some other babies, the mother would leave and the child would be upset. And then the mother would come back. And the child would ignore the mother, would completely ignore the mother, pretend like they weren't affected by the mother leaving, ignore them. And then in third cases, the mother would leave and the child might be upset for a minute and then be distracted and play. And the mother would come back and the child would be happy to see the mother and then go on playing. Those describe the three main attachment styles. The first where the child clung to the mother, that's anxious attachment style. The second where the child ignored the mother when the mother came back in the room is avoidant attachment style. And the third, where the child was like upset and happy to see the mother when they came back, but it didn't kind of ruin their experience. That's secure attachment style. So these attachment styles come directly from, from our mothers. And then they show up in our romantic relationships. I think it's so fascinating how our relationship with our mothers directly affects how we show up in romantic relationships. And boy, for you mothers listening, that's a lot of pressure. I get that. That is a lot of pressure. Some of you may be thinking, well, what about people who who don't have mothers or who are adopted or things like that? So there is there's a, a volunteer position in, in most hospitals that I'm aware of called a cuddler, where babies who for some reason, if they're taken away from their mother, a volunteer goes in to cuddle the baby. That's because of attachment styles. That is because babies need warmth and love and comfort, which I think is just like so cool. I've always wanted to do that, but I, I haven't. 
We can develop secure attachment styles if we're around people who have secure attachment styles, right? So if we are adopted, for example, yes, we don't get that directly from our biological mother, but we have an adopted mother or or an adopted father or some type of adopted guardian, and we can develop a secure attachment style. So why I'm talking about this is because there's so much going on in our brains. There's so many of these like theories and views of why we act the way we act. And I want us to understand that because I find it really, really fascinating. And I'm sure that after this episode, my mom's going to call me and ask me if I have a secure attachment style. So (laughs) I'm ready for that if she cuddled me enough. So going back to this passionate type of love, the passionate type of love where you know, the same region of our brain is firing that fires in mothers when they look at their child. Here's the thing with the passionate type of love, this type of love that's excitement, we're screaming from the rooftops, all of that. It does not last. It doesn't last. The long lasting type of love is companionate. Companionate love is all about trust, all about mutual self-disclosure, intimacy. And when I say intimacy, I I don't mean sex. I mean closeness. I mean vulnerability. I mean trust, relying on the other person. Now, a lot of the time, passionate love can turn into companionate love. That's kind of what we want, right? When I go on dates with people, I want to feel that passionate love. Who doesn't? Who doesn't want all those hormones firing? But like, I also want to make sure that there is um, opportunity for that love to turn into that long-term companionate love, that that trust, that closeness, because that's the type of love that lasts, right? It revolves around mutual self-disclosure. It revolves around, you know, a relationship being fair, both people being supported and respected in the relationship. They say that one of the predictors of long-lasting relationships is that both people feel that the relationship is equitable. Not necessarily equal, but is equitable. That both people are getting something from being in the relationship, right? They're getting love. They're getting support. They're, they're getting closeness. All of that. That is one of the biggest predictors of long-lasting relationships, which I just think is awesome because those are things that we can work on. I love talking about how I love, I love talking about how love is a verb and it truly is. And when people say love is a verb or love is an action or love is a choice or whatever you may say, they're talking about that companionate type of love, that companionate type of love of, yeah, we work, we work hard for those things. We really do. Um, but that's the long lasting love. A few minutes ago, I, I mentioned, um, cheating. And so typically when people cheat, this is, there are literally thousands of reasons people cheat. Um, but, but typically it can be boiled down to they, 
they're not feeling that companionate type of love, right? There's something missing. Maybe there there's not the intimacy or the relationship doesn't feel equitable and fair. And then they chase after that passionate type of love. And so it's important to recognize that that passionate type of love is fleeting. Can that build to companionate? Absolutely. But most often it's fleeting because those are hormones. That's just how our body reacts. So it's really interesting to, to think about it in this way. And, you know, it's interesting because there have been a lot of studies done with married people, with people who have been married for a long time, people who report marital satisfaction, people who report marital satisfaction that that can be um, compared to this companionate type of love. And it turns out that married people who report marital satisfaction, right, who have this companionate type of love have way more sex than single people. Married people now are sexting all the time. We think teenagers are sexting. Nope, it's married people. I think that's great. (laughs) Good for them. And the research also shows that sex is better. People report higher satisfaction in their sexual relationships when they feel intimate, vulnerable, and close with the person they're having sex with. Literally all the research agrees on this. How cool is that? So, you know, when people talk about how flings are fun, lust is fun, this passionate love is fun. That's so true. It is fun. It's so fun. But it turns out this companionate love, that kind of sounds fun too. That kind of sounds fun too. And a lot of this, again, going back to to our mothers, this comes from our attachment issues. I shouldn't say issues. Our attachment styles is what I should say. And those can be worked on. Those can be improved. If I have an anxious attachment style and I get in a relationship with someone with a secure attachment style, I can develop a secure attachment style from that companionate type of love. I just find this stuff so, so interesting. And part of the reason I'm talking about all of this is because movies, media, books, oh, I love a good love story in a book, love it, and like a good novel, they often focus on the passionate type of love, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But I want us to start talking about the companionate type of love too, because apparently that's where sex is the best. Who knew? So I can't talk about all of this without mentioning codependency. And again, codependency is its whole other kind of category because we can have codependent relationships with not just romantic partners. We can have any type of codependent relationship, friendships, family relationships, all sorts of things. Um, The one thing I want to mention, and again, stay tuned because I will do a whole separate thing on codependency specifically. But the one thing I want to mention about codependency is codependency can often be confused with passionate and companionate love, but they're all kind of separate. There's this passionate love, there's the companionate love, and then there's codependency. And codependency is based off a lot of one person being the the taker, and one person being the caretaker. And there's this kind of back and forth between the taker and the caretaker. And it can be very intense. 
codependent relationships can feel very, very intense and exciting sometimes and stressful at other times. And I think it's just really important to recognize that there's a big difference between passionate love, companionate love, and codependent love. Again, I'll get into that in a whole other episode, but I wanted to note it because it's hard not to talk about relationships without talking about codependency. But one, the last thing I'll say about codependency today is that codependent relationships can be healed. We can work on it. Just like someone with an anxious or avoidant attachment style can develop a secure attachment style, same thing with codependent relationships. We can work on it. We can heal those. And so there is there is hope for codependent relationships. All right. To kind of wrap up this episode, I want to do one of my favorite segments, which is the unspirational segment, where I take inspirational quotes and and say what they should really say. <laughs> Here's the first one. Inspirational quote number one. I love you for all that you are, all that you have been, and all that you will be. Here's the unspirational version. I love you for everything that you are, except those annoying parts that drive me crazy, because we work really effing hard at it and communicate constantly. I think a lot of us can relate more to the unspirational version of that. All right, second inspirational quote. Every time I see you, I fall in love all over again. Here's the inspirational version of that. Sometimes when I see you, I can't stand you. And sometimes when I see you, I remember the passionate love phase at the beginning of our relationship. And it makes me happy. But companionate love is really where it's at. I like my version better. All right, here's another one. The inspirational quote. You might not have been my first love but you were the love that made all the other loves irrelevant. Here's the inspirational version. You are not my first love, but your love is longer lasting because we passed through the passionate phase and made it to the companionate phase because we have mutual self-disclosure, intimacy, and respect and continuously work on that. We got to make memes about these inspirational quotes. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do one more inspirational quote. True love has a habit of coming back. The unspirational version. True love means that we work for it. True love means that we're committed. True love means that we both want it and we both feel equitable and respectful and close to each other. What would the world be if these unspirational quotes were memes? I'm all for it. Thanks so much for listening today. Hopefully this gives some background and some interesting perspectives on some things that we that we hear about and that we know about. Stay tuned next Monday for another episode. I can't wait to talk to you then. Please follow me wherever you're listening to this podcast and on Instagram at okishpodcast. Also, I would love it if you could rate the podcast and leave a review. The best way to get in contact with me is to go to okayishpodcast.com and submit a comment question. You can do it anonymously too, which is so great. I will see you guys next Monday. I can't wait.